All right, I think it's time to bring out the new pulpit that was made by Jim Gamond. <laughs> now this is this is not going to be able to be for everybody cuz it's it's a little taller. So you won't see it all the time, but it weighs a thousand pounds. <laughs> so on Sunday nights, I will definitely be using this because it's easy. This one's easy to lift up and down, but here it is. Oh, I have an announcement. Parents meeting between services. This is uh, from 10 to 10:45 today. Joe and Derek will be sharing about City Church Youth Ministry what God has been doing and what is in store. Please come and hear what God has put on our hearts for your teens. Breakfast, snacks, and coffee will be provided. And that's going to be over at the youth center. So if you've got a, a teenager, that's, that's for you. I'm going to leave this somewhere so I remember for second service. All right, team. Uh, this is a tough message today. We're, we're, we're going to... Uh, We're going to talk about civil authority. Could we stand to our feet and uh, please pray for me. We will read this and I will pray for you. And I just need you to be praying for me because this is a very, very tough topic. And it's very close to our heart right now. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Is there one more verse? Okay, second service, we'll have one more verse, verse 6. I'll just read it to you directly from here. Romans 13, verse 6, verse 7. Render to all that is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, the problem is, is there's a lot of opinions, there's a lot of thinking, um, especially on this topic. Lord, you have invited us in view of your mercy to not be conformed to how the world thinks, but to be transformed by a renewing of our minds. 
Father, I pray that we would get out of our own opinions, out of the opinions that many people in this country have with great energy, oftentimes Christians, with great energy. And Lord, we we respect and honor everybody's opinion, but at the end of the day, you are the one that has to tell us how you think about things. And so, Lord, would you speak today? Would you untie wrong thinking and help us to think the way you think? about this very, very important topic. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. So someone came up to Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War and asked him, Mr. Lincoln, do you, do you think that God is on our side? The, side? the side of the North, the side of the Union. And he said, young man, the question is not whether God is on our side. The question is are we on his side? It is very easy in our energy as human beings to see this thing as God, we've got God and God's on our side and God's not on somebody else's side. And I mean, you would think, especially with Joshua and they're coming in to the promised land at the very command of God, you would think for once that that God would be on the side of Israel. And certainly he's against all these Canaanites and um, they, they come into the land and Joshua has this experience that really disarms how he's been thinking about things. He has an angelic experience. He takes his shoes off because this is holy ground. This messenger from heaven. And Joshua says, are you on our side or on the side of our enemies? And you know what God says to him? Neither. Neither. But the the, the land you're on is holy ground. God doesn't come to take sides. When God comes, he comes to take over. So as we think about civil government today and how God thinks about civil government first in general and then we're going to talk about America Let's let if we could start with being not so sure that we already understand everything and and this is how it is and this is this is how it has to be. I understand everybody's got opinions. But let's let's try to 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 see what God says. Remember what Paul said in view of his mercy in view of his mercy in view of what he's done in view of how much he loves us and what he's done for us in Christ. Offer yourselves, first your bodies as living sacrifice, then your minds. Don't be conformed to the way the world thinks about things, but be transformed by a renewing of your mind. And then Paul gives these four areas where this is the fourth one of how to think. This is how to think about this issue. 
So point one is honoring civil authority. Civil authority or positions of authority with the right to make and enforce laws for society is God's idea. This has been established by God. Civil authority was not man's idea. We need, to, we need to put ourselves above it. No, God thought of this. God established the idea of civil authority. And therefore, honoring civil authority is part of our relationship with God. Very much like family. Family was not our idea. We didn't come up with marriage and family. That was God's idea. And civil authority, in the same way, was established by God. It's God's idea. Jesus says this to Pilate, John 19, 11, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Jesus believed in civil authority. The authorities that exist, exist because God established civil authority. And Pilate, he's Roman, he's, he's got questionable motives, he's all these things. But Jesus has no problem saying, the position you have was established by God. Civil authority is from God. Not just, we obey civil authority... Notice, not just for fear of punishment, not just that we might get in trouble, but listen, for conscience sake. So that simply means this, that if you're going to be a pleasing child of God, if you're going to be a member of heaven, a citizen of heaven, our citizenship is above, then... Part of your duty as a Christian is to, be, is to be a good citizen of whatever country you happen to be born and raised in. It is part of it. For conscience sake, God made government, and so if I'm going to please God, I also have to be a good citizen of whatever country I'm in. For conscience sake. This is part of my duty to God. That I'm born in human government and human government that he's established. So part of my conscience is I need to be a good citizen. Whatever government system I'm in. Paul, Paul's in a, it's supposed to be a republic, but it's actually a monarchy. And you've got an emperor and Caesar and Paul's in it. And he writes these words just unashamedly. I'm part of the Roman, you, got, you Christians are all part of the Roman Empire. There's also a Sanhedrin. You're part of this government that was established by God. You need to be good citizens of Rome and good, good citizens of Israel. Because that just happens to be what we are born in. And it is, it is consci- for your conscience sake. So March 27th and March 28th, 1990 are memorable days to me. Um, March 27th, I'm sitting in my office. I'm at that time, I'm the college and career pastor at Lake City Church. And um, we have two little children at this time. There's one more that's just about to be born. And I'm doing 
everything I can to make ends meet. We've got somebody living with us to pay rent, to, to keep things going. And, and so things are very, very tight financially. And, but I'm, uh, March 27th, I'm, I'm kind of excited because I've got my taxes over at my accountant. And the year before that, we got some money back. And so I'm, I'm kind of excited about that money coming back. And so I decide to do something. March 27th, I decide to pull up the form that, that was the reason we got money back the year before, which it was this low income with children credit that you could get. And there's just this little worksheet and you could figure out what your credit is going to be. And that's the money that was going to be coming back to me. And so I, I decide, Hey, this is fun. This is, I'm going to figure out how much I get back this year. And so I, I, I pull up that form and I'm, I'm running the numbers and I am horrified because I realized my accountant had, has made, he made a mistake the year before. Because with pastors, you get to subtract your housing allowance from your income. But part of this low-income children credit is if you have any unreported income from things such as a housing allowance, you need to add it back. To find out whether you even qualify for it. I add it back. I realize I don't even qualify for this credit. This is really bad news. I'm not only not going to get money back. I'm going to be paying. So I call the accountant and, and I point this out to him. He says, yeah. He says, that's, that's bad. <laughs> and so I'm just, you know, I'm just biting the bullet. And... Uh, I wake up the next morning, I'm having my quiet time, and I read, it's, it, the reason why I even know the days is because it's the one-year Bible for that day, it's the proverb for that day, it's March 28th, and it's, it's Proverbs 12, 2 and 3, it says this, good people obtain favor from the Lord, but he condemns a crafty man. No one can be established through wickedness, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. And my conscience is pierced. Because all I thought it was, all this was about, was that I wasn't going to get this money back this year. But the truth is, I had got money back the year before that I shouldn't have gotten. And what was I going to do about it? I, it had nothing to do with the IRS. I knew I could get away with it. Or if, if they, by some crazy thing, I mean, they've got bigger fish to fry than my little thing. And even if they did figure it out, it would be my accountant's mistake. And, you know, why, why is that on me? But you know what? I'm not living to just get away with it. I'm living for God. And, and God, God condemns a crafty man that finds a way around the rules. The righteous can't be uprooted. It looks like they're going to be. There's, there, there's all kinds of enemies of the righteous, and it looks like they're going to be uprooted, but the righteous can't be uprooted. And it seems like the wicked are there and the crafty, and they know how to run the game that they're going to be forever, and that's not true either. 
And so I did something. I wrote a letter to the IRS. Dear IRS. And I just explain. I explain. I got money back last year that I shouldn't have gotten. And I'm sure that there's some penalty for that and interest. And you just, you just send me the bill. And I'm just, I'm just, this is the right thing to do. And I'm just, I send that letter to the IRS, give them all my information. And that was 26 years ago. I still haven't heard from them. <laughs> no, that really is on them. All right. I appreciate that. That has a, you know, should we clap or not? I, I don't know. I, it, it, this is just what happened. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what to say about it. Anyway, okay. Conscience. So this is an interesting thing about conscience. We obey government because of conscience. But because government is not God, sometimes we actually have to disobey government because of conscience. When government asks you to do something immoral or something against the command of God, you, we, we have a duty to the government and to God because of conscience to make an appeal to government, to make a godly appeal. This is, this is wrong. You're asking me to do something immoral. You're asking me to lie. You're asking me to cheat. You're asking me to do something that is against my conscience. And if they say, we're going to do it anyway, we have to disobey and be willing to suffer punishment. This is part of the church's role to government. It's a way we serve government. We are the salt and the light of the world. We bring a correction to ungodly government. This happens in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Peter says, whether they're, they're before the Sanhedrin, which is the, the, the ruling civil authority, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The civil government forbid them to talk anymore in Jesus' name. Well, the problem was, as Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we've got a conflict. We've got civil government that we honor and respect giving us a command that contradicts the command of God. And Peter and John are like, you know, we honor you. We honor your authority. And you guys are going to decide whether you want what you want to do with us. But just so you know, we have to obey God. We can't obey. We can't obey a command that contradicts God. And so this, this happened. Paul, the very Paul that writes this, all governing authority is from God. God has established his authority. That same Paul, Nero was the emperor at that time. And Nero and Paul were on this crash course because Rome had a religion. The, 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 the state ran the church and Caesar was divine. And so it was just a matter of time before there was going to be this conflict and, and Paul was killed under Nero for his faith. He was imprisoned and then killed. Peter, who writes in 1 Peter 2 to honor the king, once again, it's the same king, 
ended up being crucified upside down by Nero. So, no one gets to choose what country they're born in. So we've got brothers and sisters all over the world that are being raised under civil authorities where it's illegal to be witnessing or evangelizing. So in some of them, it's, it's illegal. Would, this, this meeting right here would be illegal unless the government had sanctioned it, some of the countries, and looked at my sermon before I preached it and took out what they wanted to take out, and this is what you can do, and there'd be a few spies in here to make sure that I do exactly what I'm supposed to do. And so this, this is happening all over the world. We've got people dying for their faith. We've got people being persecuted for their faith all over the world. This is the, the, the most recent edition of Charisma has on the... On the um, cover is the face of the persecuted church, and it's got stories of seven different Christians, different countries that are in prison right now because of their stand for Christ. It's part of our, our duty to God to obey our conscience even when government commands us to do something that's against it. Okay, uh, number two, the purpose of civil authority restraining evil for rulers this is verse four rulers hold no terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong for he is god's servant to you for good for if you do wrong be afraid for he does not bear the sword for nothing he is god's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer so why is civil authority god's gift to the world let me tell you why because People have a sin nature. And people often don't obey their conscience. And this world is filled with demons and darkness. And people come into agreement with darkness. And without somebody that makes a boundary, darkness would quickly take over the whole earth. But God has established civil authority to make laws, to punish laws, has put a sword in their hand so that evil is restrained. It can't be as bad as it would be if everybody, if it was just anarchy and everybody did their own thing. So how, however imperfect civil authority is, it is a gift from God and it is a restraint on the sin nature and on how much demons can do. Because there are boundaries because civil authority has set them up and that is God's gift to the human race. People say, people love to say this um, when, when they're talking about uh, arguing about the Bible. Well, well, which is it? It's a contradiction because God says in the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And in the New Testament, he says, turn the other cheek. What is, what, is this even the same God? No, both are true. Both are absolutely true. In the Old Testament, God sets up something called Israel, and it's a civil government. And the civil government is there to bring justice. They are, they're, they're, they're to actually, in, the, in that civil government, God made the laws, and they, they were there to punish the laws. Eye for an eye, they're there to bring justice. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. Not the outward kingdom, but the inward kingdom of God. A new way of living in which 
We are called to turn the other cheek. John 18, 36. My kingdom, Jesus says to Pilate, is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. I'm not coming to bring civil government. I'm coming to bring a new kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. But now my kingdom is from another place. So right now, we live in the tension as Christians that we are inwardly, we are in the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are bringing the culture of the kingdom of God, the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Spirit into this world. And we're living in human civil government that God appointed. But don't mistake that for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God won't fully come until Jesus returns. And then the kingdom of God will be set up outward and inward. But right now we're in a a tension time. Maybe you felt that tension. So two things are possible in the current setup. One, You can be forgiven, washed, cleansed, redeemed by God, absolutely blameless before God, and still go to jail because you were a drunk driver four times, or because you cheated or stole or whatever, and just because you're forgiven by God does not mean you're forgiven by civil authority. Actually, civil authority is not there to forgive you. They're there to bring justice. And the opposite is true. You can be a great citizen, innocent before the state, within all of the laws of the state, and be guilty before a holy God. Both can, both can be true. Point three, the limits of civil authority. Civil authority lacks the power to make people better. Even as civil authority was given a sword to restrain evil, Jesus gave the church the gospel to actually remove darkness from people's lives and bring them into a new kingdom of light. So the answer for the human race is not in civil government. It's in the church. It is the gospel. First Timothy 2, 2 through 4. Pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we've got two, two governments working together here. Pray for civil government so that there will be an atmosphere of peace in the world, so that there will be an atmosphere where the gospel can be preached, where the gospel can be accepted, where, where it's free to preach. Paul said, pray that an open door will be given for the gospel. So pray for civil authorities, because God's heart in this time is that every single human being be saved. So civil government keep, makes a safe place so... The church can bring the gospel, can bring the gospel of salvation. 
So civil government isn't the church. It doesn't play that role. All it can do is make up the most it can do. The best civil government can do is make a place where the church can function. But the church is the answer, God's answer for the human race. Now, here's the problem. The world's thinking easily concludes that civil government is the problem and the solution. This, now this is just absolutely central to grasping today. Do not be conformed to this world, to the way this world thinks. So here's what happened when Jesus was on earth. The multitudes, the sincere multitudes, the sincere believers in Jesus got together and said, we need to make Jesus the king. Why? Because Rome is the problem. We're in, a, we're in a dysfunctional, oppressive political system. Rome is the problem, and therefore, getting a king is the answer. And so they got a, a, committees together to make Jesus king. We're going to elect him as king, and he's going to destroy Rome for us, and he's going to make our problems go away. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. Unless Rome is not the problem. Unless the problem actually isn't Rome, it's actually the human heart. Sin in the human heart. Then, then it has to be a very, very different answer. So in the 1980s, a group arose in America with lots of energy called the Moral Majority. And they, they convinced us that America was a Christian nation that had gone astray. And that the answer was to return to our roots. And if we were, got our majority together and we got Christians involved in the political process and we all put our vote in, we could once again elect a king. We could get our guy in. We could get our guy into the presidency. We could get our guy into Congress. And we could now, and then they would make new laws. And then America would become great again. And there was lots of energy behind this movement. And there was lots of money and resources behind this movement. And frankly, it made sense. It just made sense to Christians. Here's the problem. Politics is not the problem. So it cannot be the answer. The answer is something Different. Why don't I get back to my notes so we can find out what that answer is? <laughs> God's answer for Rome wasn't an election, it was his church. Matthew 16, 18, 19. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. 
and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. God's answer for Rome, for Israel in that day, was that he was building his church. God's answer for America today is once again that Jesus is building his church. So point four, we're almost done. Living in America. So we have to start with this. America was not established as a Christian nation, but was established for freedom of religion. Whenever... The state controls the church. That's going to be a problem. And equally, whenever the church controls the state, that's going to be a problem. So in the first three centuries, the state controlled the church. The state controlled religion. And so they made... Uh, you know, you got to worship the emperor, and so you've got persecutions, you've got deaths, you've got all kinds. There was this hostility, because whenever you've got a government where the state gets to control the religion, that's going to be bad. Okay, so then in the fourth century, we had the opposite. Constantine became a Christian, and now we've got the church controlling the state, which seems like a desirable thing, except the, the exact same thing happened. When the church controls the state, the church decides how the right way to practice Christianity is, what the right way is, and you have to be a Christian or you're going to be persecuted. So it's no longer this free gospel that's being preached. Now you have to be, it's, it's expedient for you to be, quote, saved, or at least be baptized and come to church because that's how you get by in that government. And if you don't worship the way the government tells you to, then we're going to persecute you and punish you. So however wise this seems, John Calvin in the Reformation, he sets up this city called Geneva, which is going to be the kingdom of God on earth. And he's going to run this thing like the Old Testament. He, he is the civil authority. John Calvin runs this thing. And what happens? Well, if you don't do it the way John Calvin does, you're a heretic. And so they're burning people regularly at the stake. Now, guys, this is why America was founded. The church was running England. It was the Church of England. It was the Anglican Church in England. And they told everybody, this is what it looks like. This is how you worship. And the reason why the pilgrims came over was not so that they could have another place where the church runs everything and we demand how everybody has to do it. They came over to be free, to be able to worship how their conscience asked them to worship. So you've got Pilgrim's Progress is written by John Bunyan in prison because he's not worshiping the way the Church of England told him to worship and he's not properly called as a pastor and it doesn't matter how anointed he is or how anything he is. He is in prison because he didn't please the church. So these guys come over to make a place for the freedom of religion. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson is not a Christian. 
Thomas Jefferson wrote his own version of the Bible where Jesus doesn't rise from the dead and there are no miracles. He thought the Bible was a helpful book, but it wasn't, it wasn't about a relationship with God and there were no miracles and he wrote his own thing. The founding fathers, to just put on them, these were all Christians and they meant that everybody would be Christians, it's just not true. Thomas Jefferson is, is part of the Enlightenment where, where we think about things. And here's what you need to know about the founding fathers, though. They might be angry that you disagree with their opinion. But here's what you need to know about them. Even though they're angry that you disagree with them, they will die for your right to disagree with them. We, this country was founded for religious freedom. Okay, so what America isn't? Two things America isn't. First, America isn't Israel. America is not the light on the hill. America isn't the light, and democracy is not the light on the hill that is the answer for the evils of this world. You just got to get that thought out of your mind. Jesus is the light. And his church is the light on the hill. And the gospel is the answer for the evils of the world. You just got to get America out of that position. Secondly, America isn't Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18.32. Then he said... Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there, and he said, I will not destroy it on the account of ten. Now, this is Old Testament. God the Father is very active in judging sin, and Abraham comes before him. Because the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah have become before his eyes, crying out for judgment. And Abraham says, Lord, you are the judge. You are the righteous judge. You, you will not destroy the wicked and the, with the, the righteous together. And God says, go on. And he starts out with 50. If there are 50 righteous in Sodom, will you save the city? And God says, yes. If there's 50 righteous, I'll save the city. And then 45, 40, 30, he gets all the way down to 10. If I can find 10 righteous, then I will have the mercy on the whole place. Because I've got a remnant to work through. I can bring some type of redemption to the whole thing. Now, does America have a lot of sins? Absolutely. But folks, there's a mighty, mighty remnant in this country. There is, and some of them might not look like you, and they might not be in a church like this. They are all over this country. They're in every denomination. They're, they're in every place, every city. I've been in a lot of places in this country, and it never fails to amaze me. Whoa, there are people on fire for Jesus here. There are people that are praying. There are people that are living for God all over this country. 
Okay, so here's, this is, this is, this is the most critical part. Because how you think about how God thinks is really going to affect how you view your everyday life and how you view America and the society around you. If you think that God is angry at the world for living like the world, how dare they live worldly? Why, don't the world, why doesn't the world start being Christian? They're not Christians. They're not converted. If you picture God angry at the world, ready to judge the world, you're going to have a very different idea. I want to submit to you that that's how the older brother felt about the prodigal. He was angry. He felt the prodigal deserved God's judgment. And when he was forgiven, he was very angry. He wouldn't even come into the party called grace. Now, I want to submit to you what the Father has done with his anger towards sin. I believe, and I believe it's Scripture, we could sit down and talk about this. I believe the Father has poured out his anger and wrath against sin, and he put it on the cross. That the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross. That Jesus shed his blood and God the Father is, has laid down his offense at the human race. That he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, namely this, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God is no longer holding the world's sins against them. Okay, so what does he do? He pours out his wrath on the cross, and then he does this. He raises Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that he now has appointed Jesus. Jesus is now the judge of all mankind. The one who died for us, all judgment now is in Jesus. The Father has given judgment over to the Son. So this is what Messiah was to do. Isaiah 61, he is to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. So it's all in Jesus. Jesus is Savior. He brings the favorable year of the Lord. And Jesus is judge. He brings the day of the vengeance of our God. Okay, are, are you with me so far? So Jesus is both, okay? Now listen to what Jesus said. He stands up in his hometown when he starts his ministry. He reads from Isaiah 61, and he says, I am here, I've been anointed to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the prisoner free, to open the eyes of the blind, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then it says, he closed up the scroll, and he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your midst. Folks, this is the hour we're in. We are still in the favorable year of the Lord. This is still the day of mercy. This is still the day of God's salvation. When Jesus returns, everyone who has resisted his love again and again and again, have resisted the promptings of the Spirit, have resisted, he will come as a judge. And at that point, the one who died for us will bring judgment to this world. But we're not in that time right now. And it is really important that the church doesn't join with the wrong message. This is the day of salvation. This is the day where God is drawing, the Father is drawing all people to the Son. 
This is not the day where God is judging. There's a judgment in sin. There's always a judgment. It's, it's got its own judgment. There's a judgment in nature because of sin. That is not God's direct judgment. We need to think like God thinks. This is the day of salvation right now. All right, so let's talk about uh, why do we have the candidates that we have right now for president? I want to say a couple of things about our, our, the candidates and why, why has God allowed these two candidates? Okay, so first, because there's a lot of despair in our land, especially among Christians, because of these two candidates. First, I want to point this out. Both of these candidates are better than Nero. So let's start there. Before you give yourself permission to dishonor and to, to not be under this, I, I'm going to move to another country. Before you give yourself permission to do that, you need to acknowledge both of these two. Nero was a madman. Nero was insane. Both of our candidates are better than Nero. James Madison, who wrote the Constitution, made it, he was a Christian, he made it with the sin nature in mind. I'm going to read a few quotes from him soon. That is why our federal government was set up to be inefficient. It is why there are three branches. Any one branch doesn't have all the power. There's the executive branch to lead the country. There is the legislative branch to bring laws and make laws. And then there's the judicial branch to enforce those laws. He separated the powers out so that nothing could get done quickly. And no one could just decide we're going to do it this way and ram their way through. This is why there are term limits. This is why you, they can, whoever gets in could only serve two terms. I'm, I'm just going to go out on a, on a limb and say whoever gets in of this presidential, they're only going to serve four years. That's, that's just my, don't call it a prophecy. Please don't call it a prophecy. I don't want to be stoned later. I just, I just honestly, I just, I don't think they're going to make two terms. And I don't think, I think because of how our Constitution is set up, I think the damage is going to be limited in four years. I just do. Well, what about the presidential decrees and the president could just decide things? You know what? This president has already made a lot of those. There's not a lot more to make. There just, there just isn't. I'm trying to encourage us right now. Okay? So, so then... Tom, why? Why would God allow these two candidates as our options? I have spent a lot of time thinking about this. <laughs> and here's what I've come up with. You, and obviously, you're free to disagree with me. I think that God has allowed two candidates with questionable characters as our option. Because he wants to wake up the church to their real mission. Yeah. 
it, it, is, it is time for the church once and for all to give up on the idea that this is all about the moral majority making this a Christian nation. If we just get the right guys in then and get the right laws, this church will become good or this country will become great again. Here's, here's the fallacy in that. There has been a perfect civil government in the past with a perfect king. Israel was a civil government. God was the king. God was the head of it. The laws were all perfect laws. They were laws right from God. And what was the result? It was a disaster. Why? Because the problem isn't good civil government. The problem is the human heart. Under, under that civil government, wrath was always poured out. It was always judgment because that's what was in the human heart. God's answer is the church to wake up. God's answer is a revival in the church and an awakening in the world. All right, so I'm going I'm to read to you from James Madison. He wrote the Constitution. This is what he said about the American government. June 20th, 1785. Religion is the basis and foundation of government. We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions on the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. 1788, he goes on. The belief in God, all-powerful, wise, and good, is so essential to the moral order of the world and to the happiness of man that arguments which enforce it cannot be drawn from too many sources. Folks, if there's not an awakening, a spiritual awakening, and we continue the spiritual down spiral in America, what will happen because nobody will be obeying their conscience. What will happen if we become more and more materialistic, more and more selfish, more and more me, 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 more and more entertainment, more and more my happiness, my happiness. Here's what will happen. Eventually, you'll have to have police on every single corner to keep us safe because everybody's doing their own thing. We need a revival. We need people to awaken to their spiritual conscience again. Do you know what happens when revival happens? In, in the Welsh revival, this, this happened. The policemen became barbershop quartets because there was no crime anymore. There was nobody to restrain because God had awakened the people in Wales. They became barbershop quartets. There is an answer for America. And it's you and me. Now listen to how God sees things. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people... Did you notice he doesn't say if the world, if the non-Christians, if my people who are called by my name, if my beloved children, if those who I have redeemed for my own name, if in view of the mercy that I have shown them, if those people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. 
We're almost done. We're almost done. So here we go. I've got, I've got, I've got five action steps. Here we go. I promise these will be done in six minutes. Here we go. (laughs) Action steps for today. Here we go. First, be grateful that we live in a land where the state doesn't control the church. Not yet, anyway. And the church doesn't control the state. Be equally thankful that the church doesn't run the state. People have died for this. I love America. I've been, I've been to a lot of countries. Folks, there's nowhere like this on earth. The advantages we have here, the privileges we have here, the freedoms we have here, the opportunities we have here are astonishing. We need to always start by thanking God for what we have here. And then we need to pray. We need to pray for our leaders. I just, I'm, they're enemies, okay? Jesus said, pray for your enemies. I think they're against America. Good, pray for them then, because that's what Jesus said to do. Pray for those that are civil authority, and here's, here it is. Believe God is bigger than civil authority. In, Pro- in Proverbs 29, the Bible says, many look to rulers for justice, but justice comes from heaven. There's somebody bigger than rulers, and that's God. We need to vote because the government you are in, in America, is a democracy, and in a democracy, everybody has their vote. People died so that you could vote. Well, I don't even, I don't, I don't even want to vote. I don't like either candidate. I don't. Vote for the third party. Vote for the Green Party. Vote for, I don't care who you vote for, Vote. People died so that you could vote. You guys think that I just went through like three of the steps? That was all in part one. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, boy. Two, this, is, this hurts. Don't resent paying taxes. God says, I've given civil authority. I've established civil authority. Give honor to honors you. Pay taxes to who taxes are due. Guys, this was God's plan. Don't feel like you're being put upon and that somehow you shouldn't have to give property taxes. No, the reason why we have, the the government does something for us communally that we couldn't do for ourselves. And so think think of your taxes as This is why America exists. This is why it can exist. This is why we can go out on our streets and our children can play in the yard is because we pay these taxes and there is protection and there is safety and there is whatever. Okay, you got me. Thirdly, don't idolize America. Don't make America something that it's not. I, and I, I'm, I'm a little guilty here. I, honestly, I, I watched a lot of Olympics. And I'm just going to confess this before everybody here. If America wasn't in a race, I didn't watch it. I just, I don't know. I, I, I love America. Don't idolize it. America does. It's got a lot of problems. It's got a lot of sins. It's propagating its sins through movies and other ways. There's a lot of problems in America. But please don't despair over America. 
because of its problems. I don't think God's done with America. For one thing, uh, Psalm 94 says God disciplines nations with nations. I think God uses the American military. I think he uses it to check communism. He certainly used it to check Nazism. And I think he's using it right now to check militant Islam. I think America, in the bigger scope of the worldwide picture, still has a role that they're playing. This is why we all need to pray that America continues to be the friend of Israel. God's got a plan for Israel, and God is going to bless people that are friends of Israel. And I think a lot of the prosperity that has come to America and the help that's come to America is because we've stood by Israel. We need to continue to do that. Pray that we would. Don't despair over the political process. Let's just, let's just take this thing out. Let's just say our worst fears happen, okay? Let's say that, you know, I can no longer say moral things anymore. I can't preach morality. I can't t- say what the Bible says about homosexuality or about some other issue, and, and, or I'm going to go to jail, okay? Let's, let's, just, let's just say the worst happens, okay? And they've, the state is now telling us what we can say and we can't say. Okay, so let's just run that thing out. So we have a, a responsibility to appeal, and we would certainly would, and there's lots of Christians to appeal at every side. But if not, and it's going to stay that way, then we have a responsibility to obey. So I, I still, I'll preach what I'm supposed to preach, and so I get put in jail. Let's say pastors that preach the word of God all over the country get put in jail because they preach. Now, I'm not asking you a question. Let's just, let's play this out. That would be just horrible. That'd be the worst thing. No, I don't know that it would be that bad. I don't think it would destroy the church in this country. You know what I think it would do? Purify the church. I think those who don't want to be part of the church that were just kind of in because they got a free ticket to heaven, I think they'd backslide. But I think those that they believe Jesus, they believe this is it, I think they would catch fire. And I think God would save a whole bunch of people through it. Now, that's not so horrible, is it? Okay, let's take it farther. What if they killed me? I'd go to heaven. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right, so that's, that's enough. Okay. Here's the last thing. Believe. Believe. Not just in Jesus, but believe in the church. Notice he said, I am going to build my church. He didn't say, I'm going to build your church. We're not trying to get him to build our thing. He didn't say, you're going to build my church. He didn't leave it to humans to, we're going to make this great thing. He is building his own church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We've got to believe again. The enemy has tried to get us negative and sour us and believe the church is powerless and can't do anything and it just infights and it just, the the church's greatest hour is in front of it, folks. God has saved the best wine for last. All right, let's stand. As individual Christians, I wrote this down because I thought it was kind of funny. As individual Christians, we need to have the gratitude 
of the prodigal son and the faithfulness of the older brother. We need to have an attitude. Whoa, I'm forgiven. And we need to, Father, I have served you day and night and obeyed every one of your commands. We need to have both going on inside of us. So let's pray. Lord, I want to start by thanking you that this message is done. Lord, these are very difficult times and there are so many thoughts and arguments and fears and anger and despair and sorrow over our political process and, and where America's going. And it's just really easy to say things and to do things from the wrong spirit. Lord, I think of James and John, two of your closest disciples. And they said, should we call fire down on them? And you turned to them and said, you guys don't even know what spirit you're of. You guys, are, you guys, you guys don't even know what I'm thinking about. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Father, part of what's happened in our country is the church has ceased to believe in itself as the answer. Forgive us, God, for wanting to elect a king, wanting to get our people make this a better place. Jesus, it's so amazing that the answer doesn't have to be that we get the right person in or that this happens or that the right law gets changed. The answer is this. I can, I can today humble myself. And Jesus, we do individually and corporately. We just humble ourselves and say, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our sins and for our anger and for our oftentimes comments that are not helpful, they're not redemptive, they're not filled with grace and seasoned with salt. Forgive us, God. And Father, together, where two or three ask the Father in agreement, it shall be done. Father, together, we ask you for mercy for America. We ask you for mercy. We ask that we pray for our kings. We pray for our candidates. We pray for whoever gets elected, that this will continue to be a place where we live in safety and where the gospel can be preached openly and we can have open meetings without fear of being shut down. We pray that what our founding fathers of this country died for will continue, God. And then, Father, together, we seek your face. Lord, would you help us to see that there's a smile on your face? That you have redeemed us because you wanted to, because you love us. That your face is shining on your sons and daughters. You're not scolding the church into revival. You're saying, come on, come on, don't give up. Don't give up. Come on, come with me. Awaken. I've still got a plan. I've still got a purpose. And there's a spot for you. There's a place for you. There's an anointing for you. Help us, God.
Help us to think the way you think. Lord, we love you too. All right, guys, bless you. We're going to have ministry teams up here if you want some prayer. Come right up.